Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. So we're, we're starting today with a, a new series of teaching on Sunday mornings, and it's called Gospel Encounters. You'll have heard us talking a lot over the last few weeks, particularly about mission, and how the mission that Jesus gave his first followers, and therefore gave to us as his present-day followers, um, it should be impacting upon our lives in all that we do. What is the mission? The mission is to go into all the world with the authority that Jesus has already given to us to declare his word, to be his witnesses, to go baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. And as we do that, we know that Jesus is with us because he's promised that he's with us right until the end of this present age. And so that's the mission. With that in mind, over uh, four Tuesday evenings in March, we have Made for Mission training. So four, four Tuesday nights during March at the Old Grammar School in the middle of the town. We've got four weeks. I've seen what we're going to be sharing on those weeks. It looks really, really awesome. It's going to help us as a body of believers in this town to make an impact on those who don't yet know Jesus as their saviour. I want to really encourage you to stick those dates in your diary and prioritise them above all. Because nothing is important as the mission that Jesus has given us. And to help us too in the mission, we're going to be looking over the next few weeks at some of the encounters that are recorded in the Bible that Jesus had with people. Some of the times he he met people, very often one-to-one. We'll be looking and learning about how Jesus engaged with people, how he spoke to them, what kinds of questions he asked them, and how he was a man acting in the power of the Holy Spirit to bring transformation to people's lives and hope to thousands of people. We might have our own stories of encounter with Jesus. You know, I really hope we do. If we are people who say that we are trusting Jesus as our saviour, at some point we've encountered Jesus and we've determined to follow him, then um, we've got stories to tell ourselves, haven't we? Many of us can recall the moment when we met Jesus, when we realised who he was, when we learnt deep in our heart the purpose of which he came and knew the transformation, the transformation of men and women that knowing Jesus brings. And it's that kind of encounter that we want our families and our friends and our neighbours and our work colleagues to experience, isn't it? So why don't we pray together now? Holy Spirit, we want to thank you that that you are with us this morning. We want to thank you that as we look at how Jesus encountered people, there are things that you're going to show us. You're going to drop into our minds. You're going to um, burn deep within our hearts because they're going to be useful to us in the mission. And therefore, we want to say to you, would you come now and guide us into truth? Would you cause the truth of God to resonate deep within us in a way which demonstrates the transformation that's gone on on the inside already and enables it to burst out on the outside? Amen. Amen. So today, we're going to look at the encounter with Jesus that was had by a man named Nicodemus. And we read about him, first of all, in John's Gospel and in the third chapter. So if you turn to that in your Bible, if you've got it, the words are on the screen if you haven't. 
And for those of us whose uh, eyes are getting a little dim, I, have to, I don't trust myself to read my small print Bible, so I've printed it out in big, you know, all the secrets coming out. I just wanted to want to get that off my chest, be straight with you what's going on up here. So, um, John's Gospel, chapter 3. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader, who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can only reproduce human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Well, how are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world But people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. And that's the word of God. I want to give you a little background about who Nicodemus was. We know from what we've read, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and an important Pharisee at that. He was a member of the ruling council in Jerusalem. Mm. Jerusalem being the capital of Judaism. Uh, Nicodemus was on the ruling council, which is called the Sanhedrin. We're told by historians the Sanhedrin had 71 members. It wasn't enormous, It was 71 men on that ruling council. And Nicodemus would have been one of them. He describes himself as an old man in the passage. And so perhaps we can imagine him as a senior member of the most important ruling council in Judaism. 
and unimportant, probably the most important teacher among them. He would have been really well educated. He would have been reading and writing well with a sharp mind. And especially when it came to discussing the things of God. As a Pharisee, Nicodemus would have memorized, not read, memorized the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. I don't know if you try to read the first five books of the Old Testament, (laughs) especially if you get stuck in the middle in Leviticus somewhere. But as a Pharisee, he would have memorized the whole lot. And he would tithe scrupulously. And he would fast twice a week. And you know, the Pharisees always seem to get a bad press, don't they? And I remember as a child in Sunday school learning about the Pharisees and they kept having run-ins with Jesus. You kind of think, well, these guys are the baddies. You know, they're they're kind of the enemy. Um, And they oppose Jesus at every turn. But actually, that's much too simplistic. The Pharisees are people who could so easily be like me. And maybe you. The Pharisees were people who were brought up into a culture, a way of doing things, a way of life. And they followed the pattern, and they were really, really dutiful. Those of us who had the privilege of being brought up in a Christian home with Christian parents would have known what it is to be in the gathering each Sunday, maybe in a Sunday school on a Sunday afternoon, maybe in things during the week. And life can get full of being in the right places at the right time. And then it becomes saying the right things at the right time. But unless there's transformation on the inside, it's pharisaical behavior. So let's not think about the Pharisees as being the baddies here. Let Let us think of them being as people who need Jesus. You see, these people would have said that they loved God. These people would have said that they really loved God. They were known for being zealous. They were known for being committed. They were known for being um, always in God's word. They were known for their tithing. They were known for being top of the pile in terms of what they understood of the things of God. And, you know, with this particular encounter, we can't be entirely sure about the period in Jesus' ministry where this encounter with Nicodemus took place. But what we do know is that Nicodemus had heard Jesus and seen the things that Jesus had done, and they had impacted on him deeply and intrigued him, and he wanted to find out more. So Nicodemus came to Jesus in dark, under the cover of darkness. He came in secret. He came for the meeting after the meeting. Has anyone ever been to the meeting after the meeting? (laughs) And then there's there's, there's something that happens perhaps at work, and there are 20 people in the room, and then 15 of them clear off, and five are left, and it's like, whoa, what did he mean by that? What happened there? It's the meeting after the meeting. And this is exactly what's happening here. Nicodemus is coming to seek out Jesus for the meeting after the meeting. We must learn to know when people around us are beginning to become intrigued about the things of God. When people are coming to us 
for the meeting after the meeting. Maybe it's something that, that we have said. Maybe it's a time when we have spoken up. And at the time, the reaction has been poo-pooed, you know, just, just swept away. But someone will come to us later and say, what did you mean by that? Maybe it's an occasion where we've said nothing and could have said something. These things make a deep impact on people. I know that people have come to me and said some surprising things. They've come to me and said things like, you're a man of prayer. They've never seen me pray. I've never prayed with them. But I'm a man of prayer. How do they know that? They're, they're intrigued. You're a Christian. You're a man of peace. Could you pray for me? I don't believe in your God, but could you pray for me in case it does any good? Can I ask you, I hope you don't mind me saying, we need to have a sharp ear for these things. If our good friend Arna Scargan was with us, he would say, this is harvest language. These are things that people begin to say when they are intrigued about the things of God. So let's look and see what Nicodemus said to Jesus and how Jesus replied to him. Nicodemus' opening statement is quite interesting on a few levels because he, he chooses to greet Jesus as rabbi, means teacher. And he says, we all know God has sent you to teach us. He arrives on his own, but he appears to be speaking for others as well. Have you noticed that? We all know. Who is he speaking for? But well, we don't know exactly, but I think a bit later on, I can give you a clue as to who Nicodemus is speaking for. Nicodemus continues, your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. But how does Jesus reply? He is straight to the point. He says, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus immediately engages with Nicodemus' opening statement. And answers in a way that's not disagreeing, but really opens up the conversation. In, in essence, what he is saying is, you think you can see the evidence of God in me, but it takes the transformation of new birth to see the kingdom of God in all of its fullness. And here's an interesting thing. The, the idea of being born again wouldn't actually have been new to Nicodemus. It would have been a phrase that he was well aware of. In those times, if people converted to Judaism uh, from, from a Gentile faith, they were said to be born again or born from above. It wasn't a brand new phrase that Nicodemus was asking that prompted his response. He knew very well what Jesus was saying. But listen to this. Jesus is saying to the Torah memorizing, tithing, fasting... Nicodemus, you must be born again. And in the context Nicodemus heard that, is born into Judaism. I'm the leading teacher of all of these people in the capital city of Judaism. Can you see how that would have been an offence to him? And therefore, Nicodemus here is just giving a complete straight bat to Jesus saying that. He says, well, how on earth can I return to my mother's womb as an old man and be born again? You know, sometimes we can imagine this as being like if I was to buy myself a brand new car, a brand new red car, and it's really nice. (laughs) 
And it sits on my drive, and I polish it three times a day. And at weekends, I polish it five times a day. <laughs> and, I, and I black the wheels, and I dust the inside, and I hoover it out. And all the things, just telling you, that you're supposed to do with cars every now and then. <laughs> but I make it, make it look really gleaming on the outside. But if on the inside, I opened the bonnet, and it was like this. No engine. Nothing to make it go. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus here, here is the life you're living. You're so highly polished on the outside. Looks fantastic. But there's no engine on the inside. There's nothing that's giving it dynamism. Nothing with any power. And so Jesus replied again to Nicodemus with words that Nicodemus would have been really familiar with. He says this, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of the water and the spirit. Those words mean something to Nicodemus. Why? Well, he's a scholar in the word of God. And he would recognize the words as coming from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36. Let me read this to you. This is how God speaks to the nation of Israel. He says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit inside you. And I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Nicodemus, in Jesus talking about being born of the water and of the spirit, would have recognised exactly what Jesus was talking about here. The water that Jesus is talking about is not the water of baptism. It's symbolic of being made clean, being washed, being made new. And the spirit is referencing the transforming work of the spirit. Jesus is taking words Nicodemus knows well and is bringing revelation to them by setting them not in the context of the nation of Israel, but in the context of the individual. This is now personal. You must be born again. You must be born again. As I was thinking about um, this morning during the week, I believe the Holy Spirit said to me, that is the most important I'm going to say. You must be born again. You must be born again. Sometimes, you know, the phrase born again has come into some kind of disrepute. And we sometimes get a bit nervous about using it. And I want to say, let's not do that. Because these words are absolutely transformational. I don't know whether you've been in a conversation where someone says, I know you're a Christian. Are you one of those born again Christians? Have you you had that conversation? Yeah. Yeah. And you're looking at God's word going, well, is there another kind? <laughs> but, but, it, but it seems to mean something different, doesn't it? It means, you know, are you a Christian but also a bit nutty? Or uh, are, are, are you a Christian but kind of do crazy things? Or are you a Christian but take it all a bit too seriously? But, but when you read the word of God, there's only one kind of Christian. Yes. You're born again. Yeah. <laughs> transformed. Yeah. Washed clean. Transformed yes. by the Spirit. And we will know ourselves if we're born again. But in order that we can experience the joy of that, I just want to pray for us now. I want to pray that we will receive, even in this moment, an assurance 
of who we are. And if we're not born again, let's ask the Holy Spirit to convict us, to show us, to open our eyes. Let's do that. Holy Spirit, thank you for God's word to us, which says you must be born again. I want to ask now that if we are indeed children of God, if we have trust Jesus as our saviour, if we've known the forgiveness of our sins, if we've known the regeneration of the Holy Spirit in our lives, would you come and assure us of that in a way which is deep and overflowing in great joy? Would you cause your spirit to affirm to our spirit that God is indeed our Father? We cry out to him, Abba, Father, thank you. We are yours. Holy Spirit, if we've not given our lives to Jesus, if we're not following him, if we're not born again, would you come and make that clear to us now? Even in this moment, would you impress upon us your truth that we must be born again? Amen. Amen. Jesus goes on to say to Nicodemus that he couldn't be talking about human birth in response to Nicodemus' question, surely you don't need me to go back into my mother's room. So I can't be talking about human birth because human birth only gives birth again to humanity, human things. I'm talking about spiritual birth. It needs spiritual birth to produce spiritual life. I want to encourage you this morning. We've been, we've been given spiritual life because of all that Jesus has done for us. Let's not resist that. When the Holy Spirit wants to do something in our lives, when he wants to transform us, when he wants to mature us, when he wants to make us fit for mission, let's not be people who resist in order that we can keep doing things our way. Or because it might get a bit uncomfortable or it might eat into some of our plans. Let's be men and women who know what it is to embrace the Holy Spirit as he works within us and transforms us. Jesus continues to speak to Nicodemus here using matters that he already knows about. Jesus refers to something that's recorded in the book of Numbers. This is one of the bits that Nicodemus would have in his mind for memory. Concerns a time when um, the children of Israel are in the desert and snakes come into the camp. And it bites some of them. And some of the people die. And some are very sick indeed. And the people say to Moses, we've sinned against the Lord. Would you pray the Lord will take away these snakes? And the Lord said to Moses, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply Look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. And then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. And Jesus, speaking of his crucifixion, tells Nicodemus that it's he that will be lifted up. So that anyone who believes in him will have not just healing, but have eternal life. And we're going to break bread together this morning, as you've probably noticed. And I want us this morning to take time together to look on Jesus and to live 
in the goodness of all that he's done for us. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Did you know, if you have eternal life, it's already started. You know that, don't you? Eternal life doesn't start after we've died in the natural. If we've given our lives to Jesus, we have eternal life from the moment we're saved. We've started the journey of eternal life. Sure, there's going to be a time when everything's going to be made new, but our eternal life has already started. You know, this encounter with Jesus and Nicodemus kind of ends a bit abruptly in John's Gospel. Did you notice that? It ends with Jesus talking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus' response is not recorded. And then John goes on and starts talking about something else completely. And we've got no idea how Nicodemus responded at the time to the words of Jesus. But we do know this. John chapter 7, this is recorded. It says, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When the crowds heard him say this, some of them declared, surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting. Others said he's the Messiah. But others said he can't be, and the crowd was divided. Some even wanted him arrested, but no one laid a hand on him. When the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? We've never heard anyone speak like this, the guards responded. And then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing? He asked. Nicodemus, we find him again. On this occasion, his peers are asking for Jesus to be arrested. Nicodemus is starting to speak up. No, he's seen something. You can't do that. You can't do that without giving this man a fair hearing. Something seems to have stirred and changed in Nicodemus, doesn't it? Mark 15, we read these words. And these words are recorded about the day that Jesus died. And this is not long after he died. It says this, As evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea took a risk and went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Joseph was an honoured member of the high council and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Joseph of Arimathea, an honoured member of the high council. He would know Nicodemus, wouldn't he? who was also on the High Council. It says he took a risk. Some translations it said he went boldly, or he took on great courage. He started to make his identity of Jesus as being the Son of God public, from where it was previously secret. John 19 talks about the same event, but it adds a bit more detail. It says this, Afterwards, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, that's his peers, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Jesus, Joseph came and took the, body with, took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. 
He bought about £75 of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. And following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. And so, because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Along with Joseph, Nicodemus is no longer a secret disciple. Nicodemus joined Joseph in taking a risk. He took great courage among his peers. Exactly when his eyes were finally opened, we don't know that. But Nicodemus, very publicly, doing the most unpleasant of tasks, took the battered body of Jesus down off that cross. It would have been a messy affair. and wrapped it in linen cloth with 75 pounds. This is weight, 75 pounds of spices. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, he, he brought an offering that was enormous. And he identified with Jesus in his death. No longer the secret disciple. Reminds me of the words of Paul. In, uh, in Philippians, he says, I want to know Christ. Yes. I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the yes. dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. Can you imagine? There could have been no, on that day, no greater sharing in the death of Jesus than taking his battered body off the cross and honouring it and giving it a, a proper burial. The burial of a rich man. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.